And now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gate. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware. Keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all. Keep awake. This is the Word of God for the people of God. I want to tell you a story about what happened to me the day before Thanksgiving. Actually, it all started the week before Thanksgiving. I had to go to the dentist. It was time for my six-month checkup. So I went in and got in, sat down in the chair, and I got the first bad news of the day. The dental assistant told me it wasn't really my six-month checkup. It was really my 18-month checkup. I had missed a couple of appointments. Well, they had me open up. They poked around, looked around a little bit, took some x-rays, and then she came back and said, let me show you something. And she showed me a shadow on the back of one of my teeth. And she said, that indicates decay. Did you notice that you had broken off a piece of your tooth? I had not noticed. I had no pain. I didn't know that it was gone. They said, because that back of that tooth is gone, the decay has started. And the dentist is going to need to come in and talk with you about that. So I waited for a few moments. She came in and looked at it. She confirmed the diagnosis and said, there's decay in the tooth. She says, have you had any pain? And I said, not at all. She said, with hot or cold? I said, no, not at all. And she said, you're very lucky. See how much shadow is on your tooth? That means it's right near the nerve. Usually when it's that deep, you would be in a lot of pain, probably acute pain. I had had no pain at all. But she said, you need to go see a specialist. That takes us back to the day before Thanksgiving because she said the answer to this is a root canal. I'd heard of root canals. Every story I'd heard had to do with pain and grief and suffering. I did not want to go to a root canal. But she said, that's the path. That's the answer. You need to go as soon as possible. 
The next available appointment was the day before Thanksgiving. And so I went in. I got in the chair. The specialist said to me, do you have any anxiety about this procedure? I said, oh, yes, I do. I've heard terrible things about root canals. He said, we're going to keep you comfortable. There's no reason you need to experience any pain today. But he said, since you have a little anxiety, we have this little mask we can put over your nose. It has a little laughing gas in it. It will take the edge off. I said, okay. I'd never had it before, but he gave it to me. And I breathed for a couple of minutes. He came back and said, do you feel any different? I said, not really. He said, okay, we'll turn it up a little. So he turned it up a little, came back and said, how are you feeling? I said, I think I feel a little lighter. He gave me a couple of shots to deaden it. He started the procedure and all of a sudden I tightened up. He stopped and said, did you feel that? I said, I did. There was like a flash of pain right there. He said, oh, we want you to be comfortable. He reiterated he didn't want me to be in any, in any pain. I like that idea. So he turned the gas up a little more, gave me another shot. Next thing I know, I feel sort of like I'm floating. And then the next thing I remember, he said, well, that's it. How do you feel? A couple of hours had passed, but I was gone somewhere else. I said, well, I guess I feel fine. He said, well, lay there for a while. We're going to turn off the gas, turn on the oxygen. It'll clear your head. You'll be up in a few minutes. So we waited for a while. The assistant came back and said, how do you feel? And I said, I still feel a little loopy. She said, well, you better stay there a while longer. So I did. Finally, she said, are you feeling normal? And I said, I'm beginning to feel a little more normal. She said, well, let's try sitting up. So I sat up, sat there. I felt all right, I thought. I stood up. I was still a little unsteady. I said, I think I better go to the restroom for a moment and wash my face. So I went in and Spent a little time in there, then checked out and went to my car. But I thought, I shouldn't be driving. So I sent a text message to my great assistant, Belinda Clanton, and said, I'm headed home. I need to lay down. I had a whole list of things I was going to do here at the church, a whole list of projects for that afternoon. I had a great plan of how to finish out the week before the Thanksgiving holiday. But I realized no matter how well you plan... Sometimes you never know what unexpected turn might come your way. And no matter how well you have planned your afternoon or your day or your life, sometimes unexpected things come flooding into your life. That's what our text is about today. Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, pay attention to what's going on in the world around you. Unexpected things are going to be happening. Unexpected things will occur. He begins to tell them about all these things that are going to be happening in the world. But then he gets to verse 32 and says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Earlier in the verses before where we began to read in chapter 13, Jesus has described great suffering and terrible things that will be happening in the world. But in the part that where we began to read, he changes from focusing just on the world to talking about heaven and earth and how sometimes those two intersect 
And His disciples should be watching for the signs and be paying attention to be aware of when that happens. But He continues to emphasize whether you can read the signs or not, whether you have a great plan or not, you never know when unexpected things might come into your life. I find that to be very true in my own experience. Unexpected things happen in our personal lives and unexpected things happen in the life of the world. This past week, I got an email from our Council of Bishops. That's the worldwide gathering of all the United Methodist bishops from around the globe. They get together a few times of a year to do some work together on worldwide Methodism and different issues that we need to address. After one of their recent meetings, they sent this email to us and asked us to recognize today as Global Migration Sunday. They wanted me to share with you what they have heard from bishops in other parts of the globe about what is happening in people's lives. Some of the information they shared in the email told us that there are 65 million people displaced in the world right now. People trying to escape violence, famines, natural disasters, and the like. Their statistics said 21 million of those are refugees and half of those are under the age of 18. In other words, they are children. Millions and millions of children without homes right now in our world. And as I read over that, it became overwhelming. I mean, where do you start? How can you respond to so much need all at one time? Well, Thomas Kemper, who is the head of our United Methodist Global Missions work, has an idea for us. He suggests we start like this. He wrote, imagine people in Manila, in Munich, and in Milwaukee united in prayer around the world, thinking of migrants, immigration, refugees, but also knowing that Methodists around the world are involved in advocating for and receiving migrants. He says, that is my hope for the day. In our text today, what we have is Jesus talking to His disciples. And I think this relates to what Jesus is saying in our text because in that text He cautions us to be alert, beware, keep awake about all the unexpected changes that can occur in life, in human lives, in life around the world. And just as Thomas Kemper suggests, I think it is a good place to start as people of faith. It is to start with prayer. Start with prayer when we experience these overwhelming problems in our lives or in our world. In this particular case, the prayer we read for the prayer for illumination came from the bishops as part of their global migration emphasis. They suggest we pray for the displaced and pray for the suffering. 
pray for those in countries trying to deal with these migration patterns and the large numbers of people. Pray for the children. Pray for those families who have members who are now lost. They don't know if they're dead or alive because they have been separated. Pray for those United Methodists that are active in ministry with these people. Pray. Pray that all might know God's presence and peace in the midst of life's unexpected turns. As Jesus is talking with His disciples, He says, Beware. Keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. Then he goes on to say, while the man is gone, if you're left at home, you do not know when he will come back. There's no way to know when that will happen. And so he ends that passage by saying, what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. During Advent... As Christians, we observe this season of preparation. It is an opportunity over these next several weeks to do our own spiritual work, to be involved in prayer, to be one to open our minds and hearts to what God is doing in the world, to be those who are looking and listening for God's love, being born into the world, or opportunities for us to be those through whom God bears love into the world. It's an opportunity to prepare ourselves to fully receive the love and the joy and the peace of which we speak during Advent and at Christmas. As we draw ever closer to Christmas Day, we'll begin to talk more and more about the first birth of Jesus. But in this passage today, this passage points us to the future. And any birth of God's love and compassion that comes into our lives. Marilyn Brown Oden used to live in Oklahoma. She was married to a United Methodist pastor. Bill Oden, he was a pastor here. He was elected bishop, so all of a sudden he has new assignments because they usually send you out of your home state to serve. So they've been moving around during his career with different assignments. They're now in retirement, but she's continued to write. I read some of her stories recently. One of them told about the time that her husband Bill's father had died. She said, after we were led into the funeral, we ended up being seated with our three-year-old granddaughter right between us. She said, I watched this three-year-old as she sensed her granddad becoming a little more upset a little more sorrowful and troubled during the service. She said, I saw her move over and snuggle up next to him. And then before long, she reached out and took his large hand with her tiny hands and began to cup it and hold it. And then finally, she looked up at him and whispered, I love you, Granddad. I love you. And Marilyn helps us see how love can be born anew in unexpected times and places. You never know. Jesus says you can never know the time or the hour when this might happen in your own life. 
Karen was a pastor in her midlife passage, struggling with her life and her ministry. She began to talk to some friends and then to some pastors about her struggle. And one of her problems is that she had this ongoing arthritis in her wrist that was causing terrible pain. And as she was working with one of the pastors, he said, I think it would be important for you to think about a time where you felt like God's presence was surrounding you, that you just felt full of sacredness and the wholeness of God was with you. And she began to remember how much she loved to draw. But what she remembered was as a child, when she began to draw more and more, people discouraged her and told her she was too smart for that and she should focus on her academics. And so she gave up drawing and focused on her academics, went on to college. She began to drift back toward art, she says, during her days of college. And friends of hers began to ridicule her and said, Quit messing with that. You are a smart young woman. Focus on your academics. And so once again, she gave up art and focused on her studies, eventually going on to seminary. And now, here she was in midlife, working as a pastor, but having all these struggles. Her pastor friends suggested maybe she should start to draw again. And so she decided she would try slowly at first, but she began to draw some and then some more and then moved on to pastels. She began to work in art more and more. Robert Morris, who wrote about her story, tells it like this. I want to read you a few of his words. He said, her hands dug into fresh clay and shaped images of her own soul and then of the holy. She loved what she was doing and she loved herself doing it. The aches in her wrist disappeared. Karen says she realized that she had rejected parts of herself and as she began to reclaim them, she felt God being born again inside of her. That God's love was being reborn anew within her. And before long, not only was she participating in art, but she was able to begin to use art in her ministry with others. So they too might experience the transformation and the birth of God's love in their own lives. Jesus says, keep alert, keep awake, beware of what's going on in the world and in your lives. Advent helps us watch and pray for God's presence being born anew into our very own lives. Amen. I invite you to stand as we declare what it is that we believe in. For we are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. This same is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners 
and was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. Great indeed is the mystery of the gospel. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Wondrous worker of wonders, we praise you not only for what has been or for what is, but for what is yet to be. For you are gracious beyond all telling of it. We praise You that out of the turbulence of life, a kingdom is coming, is being shaped even now out of our bits of trusting and sprigs of hoping and seeds of caring. Teach us to expect a message from angels, a Redeemer from a baby in a manger, gifts from hidden places, Your kingdom born amid ordinary folk like us. We would be silent now, Lord, and expectant that we may receive the gifts we need so we may become the gifts others need. How silently, how silently Your wondrous gifts are given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him, still the dear Christ enters in. Amen. Amen. 